This week on Daiwa, we're featuring Woodbury County. An eight-year-old boy goes missing after watching TV at his friend's house. His body is found one month later. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValley and Allie Tulin. Beth, we've made it to Woodbury County, and I can finally say I've been to this county. How about you? Still up for debate. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely know Sioux City, and I want to say I've been there, but I, I can't remember ever going. Nice. Well, I was always driving to South Dakota growing up, and... My favorite fun fact about driving through Woodbury County is that it's home of the Sergeant Floyd Monument. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've definitely heard of it, um, but I don't know the whole history. It's like a mini version of the Washington Monument, but I don't know why my family always called it the giant pencil statue. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Classic. (laughs) But it's located just outside of Sioux City, and the backstory is just that Sergeant Charles Floyd was one of the first men who volunteered to join the Lewis and Clark expedition in 1803 to check out the newly acquired land of the Louisiana Purchase. So Floyd ends up getting sick on the trip when they were in Iowa and they decide to bury him there. But then when like looking it up and researching it more, I thought this was crazy. His remains had actually been washed away and then you know they kept rebuilding his grave and whatever and in 1895 Sioux City residents decided to establish the Floyd Association and erect a monument so it took five years they raised twenty thousand dollars and then development began in 1900 so they started pouring the concrete base they put Floyd's remains there finally so you know, his grave was set and and wouldn't be washed away in the future. And now it's this giant obelisk of white sandstone, and it stands 100 feet tall. It's pretty impressive, really. It is. It it reminds me of the Washington Monument, which you must be very familiar with by now, right? Oh, yeah. Actually, I got to go to the top this year. Oh, my God. Was it cool? Before COVID. (laughs) It was. I've always dreamt of doing that, but I've never actually been up there. So every state donates a rock, or donated a rock, to the Washington Monument, so that was kind of cool to see. Yeah. Well, should we get started? Let's do it. Just want to give out our regular warning. It's another cold case, Um, so be ready for that. But the year is 1954. We have an Iowan in the White House, and I'm talking about the First Lady Mamie Eisenhower from Boone, Iowa, in Boone County. Uh, The average movie ticket was 70 cents, R.I.P. Today's movie ticket is not that. (laughs) R.I.P. movies in general. (laughs) $14. (laughs) And Elvis Presley cut his first record in 1954. Beth, this cold case isn't about how Elvis is still alive, is it? Unfortunately, no, but... He is still alive. (laughs) (laughs) I know we're both big fans of the Home Alone theory, but we can dive into that in another episode. (laughs) Um, This one takes place in Sioux City. 
It's the evening of August 31st, 1954. An eight-year-old boy named Jimmy Bremers is at his friend Joey Hamill's house, just two doors down. Jimmy, Joey, and Joey's 13-year-old cousin, Steve Counterman, were watching TV. When the show Life with Father came on, Jimmy and Steve left the Hamill's house to go home. Steve said he saw Jimmy standing alone near a tree by the Hamill's porch before turning to walk uphill. Steve was the last person to see Jimmy alive. Jimmy's parents had gone to lay brick for the basement of their new home. Yeah, so here's a little background on Jimmy. He reportedly suffered from a speech impediment and didn't have a lot of close friends. It's even said that his best friend was his small black and white dog named Specs. But also an interesting fact is Jimmy usually helped his parents work at their new house. But that night in August, he said he wanted to visit a friend instead. Hmm. So Jimmy is missing. The whole town knows. And on September 2nd, Ernest Triplett, a music salesman for Flood Music in Sioux City, was questioned by police and then taken into custody. Yep, and some background on Ernest Triplett. He had been in Sioux City for a few weeks. He was working as a door-to-door salesman for Flood Music, which was a music store. A big part of his job was encouraging parents into music lessons for their kids, which reminds me of a weird version of the music man. (laughs) And the store had actually given him a car that he could use on evenings. So on that night of August 31st, he was working in the Bremers neighborhood. I wish Jobs still gave out cars, just as a little side note. That would be amazing. I think it only happens (laughs) to like lawyers and fancy people. Sad. (laughs) So the Sioux City Police Department received word that a salesman from the music store had been soliciting business in the Bremers neighborhood. Ernest Triplett was then taken to the police station for questioning. He was held in the station without a charge filed for about 16 days. While there, he was questioned daily about his knowledge of the disappearance of Jimmy. It's said that even a PI named Joseph Matosek... Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, also questioned Triplett during that time. He Joseph was employed by Triplett's attorney at the time of the trial, and he had told Triplett that if he did commit the crime, it was very possible that the only thing they could do to him would be commit him to Cherokee, which is the state mental hospital, because of his mental condition. So this Joseph guy was a free agent when he told Triplett this and not working for anyone. And on September 18th, Triplett was transferred to the mental hospital at Cherokee upon his own application. Police officers at the trial said he thought that they might there be able to aid him by treating him for syphilis. Triplett, on three or four occasions, also stated that he did not want a lawyer and that he definitely wanted to help solve Jimmy's disappearance. There's also record of something on September 4th that Triplett said he was interested in cooperating in every way in clearing up this murder. When asked why he called it a murder, he did not reply. A little sketchy, but Mm -hmm. here's where things get a little weird. Triplett was taken to the place where Jimmy's body was found by a county crew building a snow fence on September 29th. This was in a field which was higher than the roadway, but the body was only a short distance from the fence, but not visible from the road. When the car with Triplett stopped, he went toward the place where the body lay and pointed to the fence near the body. But when he saw the body, he went pale and said, what is that? 
So Jimmy's body had been decapitated and the crushed skull lay several feet away from his decomposed body. Also, both of his hands were missing. So Triplett was held at the jail and he had this weird obsession about helping solve the murder and said he had nowhere else to go. Sounds strange, and time goes by, and on October 5th, Ernest Triplett appeared before the Woodbury County Insanity Commission with no legal representation and was involuntarily committed to the Cherokee Mental Hospital. The next day, the doctors injected him with methamphetamine, LSD, and secondol, and by the end of the day, Triplett confessed to killing Jimmy Brummers. He was formally charged on March 3rd, 1955, and was sent to the Fort Madison State Penitentiary. Okay, another twist here. Three nights after Triplett entered Fort Madison Penitentiary, 22-month-old Donna Sue Davis was abducted from her crib. A farm family from South Sioux City found her half-naked body in their cornfield the next afternoon. Donna Sue had been raped and sodomized. Cigarette burns covered her bottom. Her left jaw was fractured. Bruises covered her body. It's not known if the two abductions and murders are connected. There's been a lot of speculation around this case, but we still don't have any clear leads. We're really hoping for the DNA they collected from Donna Sue will help solve this case. So, 17 years after Ernest Triplett is sentenced to life imprisonment, a University of Iowa law professor, Robert Bartels, represents Triplett in a challenge to his conviction. And on October 17, 1972, Ernest Triplett's conviction was overturned, and he's released from prison the following day. Robert Mm -hmm. Bartels was able to produce medical records indicating that he had been giving large quantities of LSD, stimulants, and depressants while being held at the state mental health facility in Cherokee, Iowa. His attorney said the first confession was clearly involuntary and violated the 14th Amendment because he was held so long without charge, so denied due process. Triplett is 70 years old in 1972, and at 73 years old, Triplett settled for $50,000 in a settlement with the state. His lawyers didn't think the amount was fair for Triplett's 16 years in prison, but Triplett felt he didn't have the time for a lengthy trial and appeal process. And as of 1988, we saw that Triplett was living in Iowa City, but it did look like he passed away there in 1995. As for Jimmy's family, it looks like they stayed in the area. Unfortunately, his older sister died in 2016 near the Sioux City area. I think both from the murder of Jimmy and the legal dealings of Ernest Triplett, we have a lot of questions for Taps, so let's call him up. Ring, ring. (laughs) Uh, Hello, welcome. Hi, how's it going? Good. We have just been discussing Woodbury County and have a few questions for you about this Jimmy Brummer's case. The first thing is, what's the first step that you take in a child abduction? Well, like many things we've talked about, 1955 and 2020 are completely different animals. Now, in 2020, you have Amber Alerts, You also have police departments in metro areas that have shutdown policies where they can shut down the major thoroughfares to the city and start checking cars and things of that nature. Um, So it really is an all hands on deck call now by the police. 
if a child is abducted. Uh, remember that about, and my percentages will be just anecdotal, I don't know them for sure, but about 85 or maybe even as high as 95% of these abductions are parental abductions or child custody cases that have gone bad or whatever. But for those true abduction by stranger calls, they really try to shut avenues of approach down because we know if we don't find this kid in the next couple of hours that prognosis begins to get pretty bad. How do you guys determine when to send the Amber Alert to citizens? Like I know that now I get like a text message whenever there's an Amber Alert. Every state has qualifications on when to send it, but they're all based on a federal guideline, but it really involves whether the children's lives are in danger. Got it. And was it not always an all hands on deck situation? No, no. It took us a long time. Even when I first got in the business, in many cases, I don't think we took these as serious as we needed to take them. I think for as long as there's been cops, if they believe there is a true stranger abduction, they really work their tails off to go find this kid. But I just think that there were so many false alarms and things like that, that it took us a while to get in gear and get things going. But that is not the case today. It, they really do respond in force to any kind of child abduction. All right. Well, that's good news. Progress, at least. Is there a time window when you think you can still find them alive, or is it more common for them to be found dead? There's no science behind it. Um, you know, you could find a kid alive. Um, I'm trying to think of the girl's name in California that was abducted, you know, and they found her, what, 12 years later. Or the two girls that were abducted in Cleveland um, were found years later. They, she, they were held captive in the basement of the guy's house. But generally, if you don't find the kid in the first couple of hours, it, it begins, their survival rate begins to diminish severely. How likely do you think it is that the person who killed Jimmy Brummers also killed Donna Sue Davis? Were you able to read into that case at all? There, there was not enough information. If it was, and it would be interesting to know if there was a sexual assault done on the boy, because I, if I it was a, think so. If there wasn't, then there's at least a possibility. But usually, perpetrators victimize the same types of people. Now, again, that's not a hundred percent. And the problem with this guy, uh, Triplet, was he had so much psychosis that he may have just been killing to kill. But in many cases, child killers tend to victimize the same types of children, both sex, you know, male or female or ages or things of that nature. So on first blush, I don't think it's the same person, but I would have to do a whole lot more digging before I could say that with any certainty. No, that makes sense. Um, what about common motives for killing a child? I always assume that there's some sexual assault involved, but if there isn't, is there any other common motive? Not, not really. Predominantly, it'd be a sexual assault motive. But again, in this case, he may have been psychotic enough that he just killed to kill. And maybe he had some fixation or something like that of killing children. The fact that the boy's body was decapitated and the hands were cut off and things of that nature 
tells me that this was a, a done by someone with a deep, deep psychosis. The hands cut off maybe some kind of bizarre attempt to prevent fingerprint identification or something like that, because that would be just a weird thing. And in cases in the past where you've seen hands cut off of bodies, sometimes it's done to try to prevent fingerprints. Let's talk a little bit about child trafficking. Do you think that could have been a play here? And, and isn't it abnormally high in Iowa? I don't know if it is abnormally high. Uh, um, I think we are just beginning to recognize it as a phenomenon in the last five or six years. I would be dubious about this guy being a child trafficker. He just didn't seem to be sophisticated enough to be involved in those kinds of things. And if he was, then why did he kill the kid? Because obviously there's nothing to traffic if you kill the victim. Okay, a quick series of questions here. Um... Is it common for people to confess to a murder that they didn't commit? We have talked about that a little bit on here. Yes. I mean, it's not common, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways the police attempt to prevent that is to make sure that they camouflage enough information about the crime so that only the suspect will have the details and they can, they can look at them and hear them and say, yes, this person definitely was there because they know about A, B, C, or D. So even the cause of death in many cases is camouflaged from the public. And it's not done to, to prevent the public from knowing. It's done to prevent people with mental health issues and things like that coming in and confessing, especially to high-profile crimes, crimes that are in the papers and the television and things like that, because there are people out there that crave that attention and they try to do that. Have you ever heard of a suspect being given drugs to confess? Not in the modern era. Um, after Gideon versus uh, Wainwright went through the Supreme Court in the early 1960s, every criminal defendant has an attorney. And if you cannot afford an attorney, one is appointed to you by the state. So this was done before that case. And any attorney worth their salt would not have allowed that to happen. Secondly, now judges interrogate uh, the defendants, kind of a, a voir dire, if you will, of the defendant to say, you know, when you did this, you know, were you of sound mind? Did you understand the ramifications of what you were doing? And all that stuff is part of the Fifth and Sixth Amendment protections that are allowed now. Sorry, this is kind of off topic, but also kind of on, I guess. I don't know. Um, were you able to see the part where the PI came in and questioned Triplett. Do you know of that happening anymore? Would a, would a private investigator be able to question somebody without police present? They could do it if the defendant gave permission. Okay. I mean, defendant can talk to anybody he wants to. Yeah. So yeah, if, if he just agreed to talk to him, yeah, no issue. I just thought that was weird. And then it even said how like the PI was telling him that if he confesses, he can go to Cherokee to be treated for syphilis and it was it was just a weird encounter and just just to think that through to its ending a PI couldn't promise those things they don't have the authority the power to do that and in fact even the police can't promise that there have been a number of Supreme Court cases that say if the police interrogate someone they can't make promises to the defendant about the outcome of the case because only the prosecutor has that power now if the prosecutor agrees they can go in and do some stipulation, 
and say, listen, I have Mr. County Attorney or District Attorney with me. And he said, if you will tell us where the body is or whatever, we will go second degree murder instead of first degree murder. That's allowed by the prosecutor. Have you ever worked with a PI before? Yeah, you get involved with them once in a while for, I don't know, some of the strange reasons. Sometimes the family's not happy with what the police are doing. Sometimes even insurance companies from time to time will hire one in a suicide or a, or an accidental death because they don't like something they're seeing. And do you think it's still possible to find Jimmy's killer? Again, I don't know enough about the case to say that with any certainty. Reading what I have read, I have a strong suspicion that Triplet is the murderer, but we'd have to find out a lot more details about stuff before then. But if the guy's around, yeah, it's possible. But you read that Triplet was released, right? Right, but he was released because he had been drugged mm-hmm. before his interrogation and he did not have an attorney with him during the interrogation. So those are all valid reasons that a confession is illegal. Okay, so you're saying just like the evidence that was given where he felt guilty and was like, he knew about where the body was, like those kind of things. Exactly, and the fact that he confessed. All right. Final thoughts on this one? Obviously when you get involved with kids, it's always a terrible, terrible thing because people's emotions are very high. Um, You know, just this, the stark terror of the crime itself causes all kinds of backlash. They're high publicity cases, just very, very difficult. And the cops have trouble working these cases because most of the cops are parents and have kids and things like that. So it would have been a tough case to work. For sure. All right. I think that's it from us then. Uh, Thanks again for joining. Yeah. Okay. I like don't have any ideas do you like i don't know because part of me thinks like for sure ernest triplet was not tried justly or however you i don't even know how to say that um for sure but some of the things he said were so creepy and so like spot on that it's like did he know about it if he didn't do it or did he do it and he just they tried him wrong and they were just trying to get him any way they could. I feel like cops could get really desperate in when, you know, when they think they know, but maybe they don't have the evidence. It's also possible that they had some evidence, but yeah, like not enough to do a full trial or not enough yeah. to convict him, I, don't I guess. Know. It'll, it'll be interesting, especially with like a kid. I feel like the pressure is on even more so and you just want to find a person to blame and maybe maybe it's like a really sad case where triplet actually you know wasn't guilty and this whole thing happened but on the other hand maybe he was and they just went about it the wrong way Mm -hmm. i don't know i do think the donna sue tie-in is interesting but the fact that she was raped and jimmy was not makes me think they aren't connected yeah i think that is a big factor and then i don't know i don't know i know it is just like so sad extremely tra- I'm gonna turn tragic into taps it's so tragic hmm it's also very creepy that he was just standing alone near a tree before and that was like the last time they saw him 
I don't know why that's so creepy. If only mm. he would have watched Life with Father. <laughs> Bummer. I know. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.